Hey everybody, Greg Bendian here at the podcast and some new friends joining us today who I got to hear play a wonderful set at this year's Prague stock where Mahavishnu project was playing the first night doing uh, full birds of fire and working with Rachel flowers, which was mind blowing. Um, and Michael Sadler, but got to hear a set by Dave Bainbridge and Sally Muneer and just magical stuff, really a special kind of prog. If you even want to call it prog, I just call it music, beautiful music. And I'm so happy to welcome Sally Muneer and Dave Bainbridge to the show. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Hi. Good to be here, Greg. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah. So nice to have you. Um, so many <laughs> things to talk about. Uh, I know you, you guys always have new music, and I want to know about your history. Um, how did you guys meet? So actually, well, I, I was a friend of um, Sally's uh, dad, Kerry, um, first of all. Uh, we we met uh, through mutual friends back in, I think it was 1991 or 92. Um, and um, I, at the time, I'd, I'd been in a band called Iona uh, for about two years. And uh, me and myself, sorry, me, myself, <laughs> me and the co-founder, co uh, David Fitzgerald, um, we're both massive Gentle Giant fans. Um, Kerry uh, was the keyboard player and multi-instrumentalist in Gentle Giant. And uh, yeah, through a mutual friend, we, we got to know him. Um, and uh, actually, Kerry came up to my house. I lived in Yorkshire at the time. Wow. And uh, we, we he stayed overnight and uh, we he brought this massive big Peugeot car up full of his keyboards. We always uh, had those. Yeah. <laughs> And we spent a day, uh, the three of us, me, uh, David Fitzgerald and um, Kerry jamming um, to see if anything would come of it. Um, it was a lovely time. Musically, uh, nothing really sparked, but it was um, just because I think partly Kerry wasn't, we realised that Kerry wasn't really used to um, improvising, whereas myself and David, that we'd come from a more improvisatory kind of background. Um, and it was a lovely day, but we, we ended up not, doing anything further musically, but just becoming really good friends. So whenever um, Iona were playing in um, Birmingham, uh, which is where Kerry and, and Leslie lived, um, uh, normally um, myself and uh, another member of the band, Troy Donnelly, uh, we'd, we'd stay at, at Kerry and Leslie's house. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so it was on one of those occasions. I remember, I think we were having a meal there and... Um, Sally was there, uh, and you were still at school then, Sally. So I think you were sixteen or seventeen, something like that. Um, yeah. And I, I didn't even know that you you sang at the time. It was like maybe um, five or six years later when uh, I remember Kerry had this little video uh, that he played me on his computer of, of you. You uh, subsequently uh, joined the Lord of the Dance troupe as the the main singer. So he played me a, a bit of of that you singing in um irish gaelic uh this oh, okay. song it was probably shula rune actually which is now in our set um <laughs> and uh, i just thought uh, wow this is you've got an incredible voice um definitely would love to uh work with sally one day so um uh really it was uh then several years later um that i was i'd started doing solo gigs um this was, I think, 2013. Um, and um, I, I was doing one in, in a town called Sleaford in Lincolnshire. And um, uh, I was supposed to be, uh, there was supposed to be a guest singer, um, a local singer coming to do uh, like a five or six songs. Um, but at the last minute, um, she was unavailable. She'd come down with a really heavy cold. Um, so I thought, oh, I'll ask Sally if, if she's free. Um, and we were, uh, so I was doing mainly so mainly uh, instrumental set, but um, uh, the plan was to play some Iona songs. Um, and uh, uh, Sally, I found that you know I mentioned the songs to her, and, and she said, "Oh, I know all these already," um, mm. because you, Kerry, had brought you to to see the band. I think a few I'd, times. I'd grown up listening to the stuff. I love the music anyway. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So so you turned up and. Uh, um, 
sang the songs amazingly and it, it was great and I remember you uh, asked you if you could play some tambourine on a couple of songs that so, was a slippery slope that was <laughs> exactly I thought, yeah I can shake some things that's fine <laughs> yes so gradually as uh, I discovered that Sally can actually play lots of instruments we've the the amount of equipment we've been taking to duo gigs as yeah we need a transit van pretty much between the two of us don't we <laughs> yeah expanded from a, a tambourine to a full percussion set toms uh, um, actually the the big concert bass drum that uh, gentle giant used to use we've now commandeered that uh yeah um what else uh Whistles, but... recorders guitar i even played violin for a while didn't i yeah, and uh, is that yeah. something? Is the is that something, Sally, coming from your dad? Is was he always playing a lot of different instruments around the house? Well, I yeah, probably that's that's it. Because growing up, we always had a studio, and all all the instruments were just there. So just have a go. That was kind of the attitude. Um, and obviously, dad is keys is his main thing but he would always be picking up he's great on guitar i love his style on guitar and um mm -hmm. and he can play kit so he would just have it all there and we Percussion. would see him. yeah yeah Solid. and the whistles are there and things and the cello went back in the attic i don't think the cello came out very much but um i i took up violin from an early age so yeah um my brother took up trumpet my sister did violin and things so we all just picked up whatever we felt like really and so yeah very lucky to have that around not many people have so much there yeah mm. yeah my, my son Elias is 22 now and he came up with the music and he's on the Philly scene with this kind of neo soul neo math rock thing and so much of it was just natural. Odd meters were just natural to him because there were never anything odd about them. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, you grew up with a musical culture built into your household and mm. that's what you experienced. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And the Stolman brothers as well. When I interviewed Derek, he told me that's what the house, the street, the room, that's really what it was like, you know? With mm. all the instruments and the dad being a band leader. Yeah. You know? This family thing is very interesting. Yeah. And we still love playing together when we get back together. I'm looking forward to Christmas. I'm sure we'll be, yeah, playing something together. Yeah. Having, I remember... a good, having a good sing, even without getting the instruments out. I mean, first and foremost, we all, we all sing. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember on the um, my last solo album, To the Far Away, there's a track that um, I think it's in uh, 1716. It's it's oh, really I'm still mad with you about that one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and uh, so yeah, Sally sings lead vocal on that, and uh, it sounds great, <laughs> but it it was a bit tricky uh, meter wise. It, it took me a little bit longer than the others. That one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Sal, you're interested in multiple vocal approaches, aren't you? Yeah, well, I tried with to... language. With the language. Language, yeah. Yeah, well, I I think, you know, having sung in Gaelic, there's something quite freeing about singing in a language that you know the majority of the people listening don't actually understand. And and I don't understand it either. Do you have to Did check. you do translations? Um, No. No, they did. They gave me very little actually when <laughs> when I joined. They didn't even tell me, you know, give me transcripts of the words. I just listened to the music that I found a copy of and wrote out phonetically how it sounded to me. I think it was only checked when we went to Dublin, and then they said, "Oh, what are you singing there?" I was, I've been singing it for six months, so it's really ingrained now. So please don't change it. But yeah, it's it it didn't matter you know that i didn't know what what it meant it, it was always quite freeing it could mean something different each night to me because i could just put my own emotion into it and yeah so i do enjoy that mm. it's such a cool thing to do and and to uh to use the voice in different ways so that it becomes so much of an instrument mm. you know not just the word carrier 
Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's what I like about the um, the Irish and Scottish uh, Gaelic. Um, yeah, when I was about sixteen, I remember hearing um, Clanad, the Irish band, on mm-hmm. um, on a program on TV, and uh, Moya Brennan singing in Irish, um, and it just the sound of of that language is something really haunting and um, timeless about it. Um, and I was really captivated from from that point uh, onwards. So, um, actually, on several of my albums, I've tried to incorporate other languages, um, in particular Irish and, and Scottish uh, Gaelic, just just more because of the sound. I think it just sounds nicer than English. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Maybe because English, you know, we're used to English, aren't we? So, uh, so. yeah, Scottish Gaelic, the Welsh stuff. It's so amazing. But it, it was funny because um, we um, in back in 1995, I think it was um, we we with Iona, uh, our singer Joanne uh, was from Northern Ireland, um, and we'd become friendly with Moya Brennan because we'd we'd met her um, a couple of times. She came to one of our gigs, and um, uh, then uh, I asked her if she'd like to sing on a, an Iona album. Um, so uh, she she played some harp and, and sang in um, Irish uh, Gaelic. Um, but uh, when you talk to her, like her actual speaking voice is like really broad Irish. It's very funny. It's it's nothing like the ethereal um, sound that comes out when she's singing in, in Irish Gaelic. It's quite a juxtaposition. But, uh, yeah. Well, you should that, hear me yelling at my kids, you know, it's... <laughs> I think I have. How old are your kids? Hmm? How old are your kids, Sally? Um, Freddie is 13 and Henry is 11. Okay. They're getting into stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Fred's drumming mm-hmm. and uh, Henry's picked up guitar. So I'm building building my band. <laughs> yes. You're continuing a great tradition, passing it down. It's so funny because my son, he never had uh, a boring time. There was always something going on. There was always something to do. And I think just that sense of constantly creating, constantly interacting with people on something. I was about to say, it's that process of creating as well that's so important, I think, for kids to just mm-hmm. try stuff and see what works. And, oh, well, that doesn't work. Never mind. But what what could you come up with that will work? And yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's like me. My family was very musical. My mum and dad were both professional musicians back in the, well, back in the 40s and 50s. And what 60s. did they play, Dave? Uh, so my mum was a virtuoso accordion player. Um, and uh, then she went on to play um, piano and uh, organ. So for years she played organ after after she'd retired, after they'd stopped doing touring in big theatres and that to raise a family. Um my mum kind of got a job in a, a working man's club. So every week she'd um, buy all the, the latest sheet music of all the pop songs that were in the charts and um, learn those so she could play them at the, the club. So um, she was all, I, she was always um, learning new songs. And at home there was piles of music, of like Beatles songs and all kinds of stuff. So I'd just go through it and play them as well, which is uh, really good. Uh, my, my dad was a guitarist um, and, and played the banjo. Um, so they had a family band playing in theatres and uh, things uh, all the way through the 40s and 50s. Um, and Well, actually, until they got divorced, really, in the early 60s. But, uh, um, but then my sister, my older sister, was a fantastic singer and piano player. Um, so there was always music around at home. And... Um, uh, one of the key things for me was well, when I was about eight or nine, my sister joined a rock band and uh, they stored the uh, the Hammond organ they had it in our front room, uh, w- which is a tiny front room. So, um, But whenever everyone was out, I'd sneak in and switch it on and, and play on it. And I think that's uh, really inspired my love of keyboards. Uh, from that's that it. Yeah. Sally, what, what kind of... The band, Sorry. Pardon? Have you ever tried the banjo? Uh, I did once when my dad on my dad's years ago, but I haven't. But that when he died, um, that um, went to another family member, unfortunately. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I should I should uh, take it up again, especially now I live in America. Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's more of a uh, popular instrument here still in places. Yeah. Ali, I was wondering what music was around when you were in your growing up years, what your ears were being fed. Well, obviously the Gentle Giant albums were there, but they weren't exactly put on loads. So I kind of discovered that more when probably in my teens. That's when I discovered Gigi and absolutely loved it. Um, I, I can remember loving the Beatles. It's funny that you mentioned that, um, particularly Sgt. Pepper. Mm. Um, that was one of my first, I think the first time that I listened to something and thought, wow, <laughs> you know, and, and then listened on repeat to it. Yeah. Um, so I loved that. Um, dad would listen to all kinds of things. Um, yeah, I, and again, later I came to more proggy stuff, definitely later, um, discovering early Genesis and. Jethro Tull, of course, the Gigi did tour quite a bit with Jethro Tull, but again, I didn't really discover that thanks to that. It's just from my own <laughs> investigations and meeting friends actually who enjoyed it and introduced me to it. So yeah, um, mm. but yeah, lots of bit of gospel, some jazz, classical. I've always loved classical music as well. So mm. yeah, fantastic. And and have you sung any of that stuff? You must have done. I do. I occasionally, um, I do think that my voice probably is settled and happiest in folk world. Um, but I do love singing jazz. I mean, Ella Fitzgerald is one of my absolute heroes, um, vocally. And so I'm, I just, for the sheer joy of it, I love singing that. Um, yeah. Not, I haven't done too much of it professionally or, you know, too many gigs, but I, I just love singing it. Yeah. Um, What's that, what I like about your voice though, is you can go from the really soft and actually really rock out quite a lot as well. Well, yeah. I'm learning to, yeah, I guess it's something that I've only done, you know, perhaps in my room singing along to stuff that I like, cause I, I do, I can cope with quite a bit heavier stuff. Mm. Um, and through my teens, I used to love some of the, heavier things like Skunk and Nancy and uh, some yeah. vocalists who were really, and Janis Joplin and just, there's, it's eclectic again, different different styles, but um, just really giving it some. But in terms of what I've been asked to then sing, professionally, it's been mostly yeah, ethereal vocals. <laughs> as soon as someone says, we'd like something a little bit ethereal, I'm, I'm there, I know what I'm doing. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think some things more recently have pushed me into, trying to you know just experiment a bit more and see what my voice sounds like and i remember in the studio with dave bronze um you saying oh we you know that's not in your range really i said no that's too high so then i sort of blasted it for a joke and both of you said actually let's do a take of that <laughs> and just <laughs> yeah it's just about pushing and yeah stretching yourself isn't it mm. it's expression mm. do you both have perfect pitch uh, I don't. No, I'm very vaguely. I mean, sometimes I can pick out notes and they're right, but not. I think not. Sally must. Well, I don't test it very often. I, I, it, it, my teacher at school spotted it and and asked me to sing an A, and I said, "Well, you play one and I'll sing it." And he said, "No, no, no, I want to hear you sing it." And I, I did sing it, and it was right. But I don't think. I don't know if it's perfect, perfect pitch. Probably if I if I trained it a bit, I'd be. I'd be there. I sat, I used to play in orchestras, so I think I just imagined the oboe playing an A and us all tuning to it. And that's yeah. maybe, so I don't know if it came from just hearing that in my head or, yeah. It's like a relative pitch type mm. thing. I think such a cool thing about your music is your multi-instrumentalism and what you can get done with two people with two hands, <laughs> you know, and, and, and voices. And it's just such a, uh, it's a great group of, of textures and colors that you have going. Can you talk a little bit about why that's been so important to your work? Um, I think it just means that we can actually make a living <laughs> with just two of us on the road instead of a whole band. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, in 
my music have always been interested in um, at- creating atmospheres and, and textures and multi-layering things. Um, so um, it, the, it working with Sally enabled us to be able to create much a much bigger sound because of the, the palette of instruments that we've between us we've got. Um, so I think we're still we're still working on uh, things as well. Like recently, I got a, a new loop station, so that that's opened up lots more possibilities for for layering, doing live layering stuff. <laughs> layering uh, vocals would be incredible. Yeah, well, we do that on a few things. Yeah. I, I did, I'm not sure if we did it prog. Yeah, we did it prog stock on yeah. one. We did little bits of that. Yeah, little bit. Yeah. But yes, yes, you've got a TC helicon. Uh, yeah. Helicon, which does uh, vocal looping and that. Yeah, certainly when we do a full set, that's uh, more of a fe- feature and something we should do more of because it just sounds so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also just um, improvising, like around underneath, um, like you creating a loop in a certain key and then me improvising different harmonies underneath that. It's always fun to do. So that keeps yeah. things spontaneous as well. Yeah, no, no two shows are exactly the same then. So. No, no. Is that's part of your ethos then? Is that it's it's kept loose? Uh, yeah. It's I mean, it, when we do solo gigs, it's a mixture of um, set uh, arrangements and then um, yeah, tracks tracks that have improvisation in them and, and that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You're you're the master of improvisation with your keyboard pieces, especially. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, try and just try and create lots of different um, atmospheres and sounds live. So yeah, so we we blend um, uh, material from my solo albums and from the, the whole catalogue uh, of the Iona albums, because uh, that that was my band for twenty six years. So there's lots of music there, uh, some of which we haven't explored yet, which I want to do. Plenty of which we haven't explored yet. Yeah. Yeah, and then I there's we trying new ones. Yeah, and then you, you brought them all, Sally. I pretty much, yeah. There's probably a, um, a, an album or two that I could get to know a bit better. But yeah, I used mm. to love singing them. I mm. mean, I'm drawn. To, obviously, I love singing, so I'm drawn to strong um, melodies and and Joe's vocals. I mean, she was one of my inspirations growing up. So mm. um, yeah, it's been it's a joy to sing them. Yeah, and then you you've brought um, some um, traditional folk songs to to the mm, set as well, which is great. Well, you know, you guys, I'm producing right now uh, an album uh, archival concert by Steel Eye Span from 1974 ah. in New York, and it just brought to mind this interesting connection with how you you Dave you know are working with the Straubs. And there really is such a thing as folk rock or mm. folk, if you want. But I, I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. And, you know, if guys like John Renborn or Bert Jantz were important to you. Uh, yeah, actually, the one, well, when I was in my teens, um, I was listening to lots of um, eclectic music, but uh, I was listening also to a lot of folk and uh, discovered a band called Horse Lips. Um, who were an Irish, one of the first uh, bands to combine traditional uh, Irish instruments like Ilan pipes with uh, a rock band. Um, so they were a huge influence on on me. Um, and then, um, yes, Steel Ice Band uh, were a big influence. I loved um, their music. Um, and later got into Fairport Convention. Um, but yeah, uh, Alan Stivell. Yeah, it's another fantastic. Actually, Hutchings really being a guy who, yeah, was was a huge force in that music. Yeah, yes. There was an album by a French harpist called Alan Stivell called Tirana Nog, um, which was really an amazing album. That was almost like a well, he called it a Celtic symphony. So it had like seventy-five different people on it, and it was. Uh, like a really like a progressive rock concept, but played on uh, traditional instruments mainly. Um, so I just loved from the beginning really the idea of combining um, different like elements, like folk elements and rock elements, and 
improvisation and sort of mixing it all up. Um, but we, we uh, when I was in Iona, we did a couple of gigs uh, supporting Steel Ice Pan um, wow. back in mid-90s. And then um, our bass player uh, at the time, Tim Harries, actually joined Steel Ice Pan for a while. So the, And then and then Troy, who was in our band, Troy Donnelly, ended up um, producing four of... Um, uh, the solo albums of um, the Steel Ice Band singer. Oh, Mary. Uh, Maggie, uh, Maddie, Maddie Pryor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's lots of cross pollination there, actually. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things about the English folk and rock scene is it's actually quite a small um, group of people when you come down to it. So you, you find that a lot of people already know other people. And then when I got involved in the Strobs, um, that's kind of. Um, uh, brought me into like a, a whole other uh, amount of contacts and that. And we actually want, we did um, a cu- couple of the gigs that me and Sally have done. We've actually had um, Simon Nickel from uh, Fairport Convention doing sound for us because um, he was uh, the, uh, the husband of the, one of the promoters. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, quite strange. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a, now a whole nother body of music you have to learn too. I've had this experience over the last 10 years. I've been playing with Todd Rundgren on and off. Mm-hmm. And just because they don't really have a lot of rehearsals, you have to know all the stuff. So you yes. have to come in knowing just a book of music. It's such a small community of people who know all the Todd Rundgren songs that play drums, you know? So it's like, yes. If you're in the pipeline, you're in the pipeline, and 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 those are the fun gigs that you you know you hope you can do to to contribute to a great body of music. Yes, yeah, I think it was like that actually with the Strobs, because um, I didn't actually have a um, an audition or anything. I just met up. I was recommended, and then met up with Dave Cousins, and we chatted. And then the next thing we were doing, we were writing songs together. Um, but uh, I don't remember actually many rehearsals before the first gig, because um, everyone else in the band knew the material so well, so I just had to learn it all. And yeah, and then... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the gig. It's learning a lot yeah. of music, to, you know, yeah. knowing it, but playing it and then inhabiting it. Mm. I feel like your your music has so many different moods and atmospheres to it. And the percussion has added a lot to it too. Good. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, I think, well, it was, I'd already had a drum kit um, um, that I'd got for when we, we had Celestial Fire. Um, that's um, a band, well, we haven't done any gigs since before the, the pandemic, but um, uh, our drummer lived in uh, the Netherlands. Actually, no, we got the drum kit when, because uh, it was the same drummer in Iona, and we needed a drum kit in the UK. But um, so when we started doing duo gigs, um, uh, I thought it would be great to incorporate like tom toms and things like that. So, and you, Sally, you were definitely up for that. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I'm we. <laughs> yeah, and then one day I remember Kerry um, opening this cupboard in the loft in uh, the house, and there was the big um, marching drum that Gentle Giant used to use live when they did their percussion bash. So I asked if if we could borrow it for our uh, gigs, and uh, yeah, so that that and it sounds great. I mean, um, on on various songs we use that. So. I'm working with uh, with Tim Motzer, the guitarist, right now uh, ah. on a recording, and it features a lot of big concert bass drum. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a great sound. It's very really atmospheric. <laughs> Yeah, very atmospheric. Yeah, and then you um you got some fairy lights to put around it. I think at one yes, point. Yes, it looks. So you've got to make it look good as well. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it is. But it is it's such a presence in the music, you know. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But it's true. The, the different percussion colors that you can get, and of course, that this was such a great feature of Giant. But it's so nice that you guys are carrying through on this idea of. Oh no! Well, we do it this way, and we can do it that way, and the variety of it all is so important. That you're not just like a one-note kind of music; you're definitely exploring. Mm. Yeah, actually, Progstock—that was the first time we'd actually done 
Well, and a couple of gigs before that, um, a Gentle Giant song in the set. Um, that, the first time um, we did it right. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, but th that was something that I've been wanting to actually see if we could. Yeah, we've, we've been saying it for a while, haven't we, that we should yeah. try and do a GG song and... Uh... It was something like, well, yeah, you were the candidates. I'm just curious if be, what what were the candidates? Well, it was finding something that would fit your vocal range. Yeah, um, yeah, um, and also something that was uh, keyboardy. Um, yeah, and uh, not too complicated for two people. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so there weren't many, were there? Really? No. Uh, so it was, you, we got it down to one. You, got, you suggested this. Um, yeah his last voyage quite early on and and we had a listen and thought actually yeah yeah let's go with that so it was there weren't too many on the table i've sung um aspirations before mm. um which is lovely but yeah i don't think you were quite as familiar with that one dave so sorry yeah. which one? Aspirations. aspirations oh no i thought you said another one after but no, yeah aspirations is very heavy mm. So yeah, we should probably have a look at that next time we rehearse. And there was there's one you you play on keyboard sometimes. Uh, yes, experience on piano as well. Mm -hmm. Experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that would be nice to incorporate. I think. If Only it, if you're if playing the piano though. <laughs> hey, did you not get a call for three friends? Uh, I, no, actually. I think um, at one point Malcolm did actually talk to Sh to Sharon about possibly doing something together with me, <clears throat> but this was af I think after three friends. Um, but yeah, no, no. <clears throat> but then because um, Kerry was involved in that initially, yeah. and then they had um, <clears throat> was it Neil Angerly, who's a fantastic keyboard player. So uh, yeah, I I saw. Um the first couple of gigs they did when dad joined <clears throat> and it was so it was so special because obviously i'd never heard gentle giant live and lots of people i meet said oh i saw them in 76 or whatever and and i would be oh, i wish i had seen them but that was the closest i could ever get to seeing gentle giant live and it was just unbelievable i loved it <laughs> absolutely loved it yeah <clears throat> version of the band uh did some shows in the east and so my Maya Vishnu project opened for them on a couple of shows one was at the Casbah okay. and my I made sure that my boy was there so that he could experience it three-dimensionally and it was a great version of the band they had a woman who was playing both winds and violin and it was covering material that the band might not necessarily have played live before and Gary had it running great with Malcolm, and uh, it was an honor, and, and it was a pleasure to hear that stuff, and it blew my son's mind, as it did mine, but it, it just just to see what's involved in the musicianship, to pull off those grooves and make them sound easy. Yeah. Mm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. They just yeah. love. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to see them live twice in 1976 actually when i was oh really 76 yeah yeah um and it was it was fantastic uh, yeah just uh, i thought they were incredible incredible band yeah. where did you see them uh both times at newcastle city hall in in england in the north of england so it was on the uh <clears throat> if you look at the playing the fool um live album it was on that tour although i think they um they actually recorded the concert in Liverpool as the main, or one of the main um, mm. on that, but uh, it was on that tour. Um, so they were doing um, stuff from, um, uh, well, the first, uh, yeah, first time I saw them, they were doing stuff from Freehand. And then I think the second time they were doing stuff from Interview, both fantastic albums. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, and also everyone had great stage presence, particularly, um, Ray, I thought, and your dad. I mean, um, your dad was fantastic, leaping from keyboards to vibes. And, and he had quite a, a wiggle going on, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did, yes. 
<laughs> they're more fun band to watch let's face it you know, and and there's entertainment in the talent yeah i actually there was um three of my uh school friends also went to the gig and they they decided to go up uh early uh in the day and they went to a cafe and the band were in there um so they ended up having like uh tea and cakes with uh with all the band and uh, said that they were, you know, really lovely people and that. So that was that was always nice to hear as well. Yeah, clearly uh, they must be very pleased with the range of uh, acceptance their music has taken on in, in the in the current years. I think I think they absolutely are. My dad, particularly, who I've spoken to about it, um, he's incredibly grateful. I think that's the main thing. He just, he's so grateful that people <clears throat> love it and people are still buying it and supporting, you know, as they do these re-releases and mixes, the Stephen, Stephen Wilson um, mm. mixes and things, and people still want to, and, and, you know, they're, they're quite funny with it, you know, with that album, Scraping the Barrel, mm. <laughs> so I thought it was just a perfect title, but people are still prepared. If there's something, something that they haven't heard yet, they'll prepare to, to pay and to listen to it. And uh, yeah, I think um, he doesn't take it for granted, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, and the early years demos under construction are fascinating. Hearing yeah. your dad play all the different piano parts and sing the parts and just get it down on tape somehow. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's, you know, it's just, it's very inspired and inspired in so many uh, maybe unlikely ways, but just the fact that in the way that your dad was fusing things together, you guys are diffusing these different elements together. I think that that's such an important part of moving things forward and and really having the music grow, don't you? Absolutely. Yes, yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think Gentle Giant was one of the first bands I heard who really used counterpoint in a, 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 in a rock context. Um, so that was for me at the time I was studying music and, um, so that was, that was quite inspiring and that's stayed with me just to the idea of, of trying to create music, not just with block chords, but, you know, layered with, with, uh, using, uh, counterpoint in the way that the Baroque composers and all that used to. Yeah. Mm. You know, we're, we're old Dave. So I remember when freehand hit. New York radio, and mm. it was heavy rotation, side one. Mm. You never knew what you'd get. But I remember listening to just the same and, and and realizing, having this epiphany, nobody's playing the same part. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nobody's doubling anybody. What the? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Overload. Yeah, sometimes, okay. sometimes we do that, don't we, Dave? But yeah. not always intentionally. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you're exposed to well, and then there were swingle singers, and there were, you know, there were vocal groups, but just the idea of vocal arranging in a live setting with multi-instrumentalism, mm. I think is is such a an area that requires so much control and skill, but also you guys navigate it beautifully with all the different takes that you have on on time and place. I wonder if you could talk about your lyric writing and 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 how that figures into your imagery. Mm. So um, a lot of the a lot of the tunes we we do are actually tunes that um, were from Iona from the the band I was in, um, and um, Joanne Hogg, who was the singer in that band, uh, was also a great lyric writer. So we ended up co-writing a lot of songs but John would ge generally write the lyrics um, or I'd come up with an idea for uh, a concept, concept and then yeah yeah then she'd write the lyric around that um, and then on on my solo albums um, I've generally tried to collaborate with lyricists um, uh, but actually in the last uh, I did write some lyrics on the last album um, I've been gradually trying trying to do my own but it's usually been a collaborative process where i think of the concept of the track and then try and communicate that to the lyricist so we actually together as a duo we actually haven't written anything um together yet um 
But uh, so uh, that's something that I think we we need to explore at some point. And I know you're doing that with Dave Bronze at the moment, which is is yeah. Great. And that's, that's been that's been a great process. So you know, can warm up doing that. And uh... <laughs> yes, yeah, because we at some point we'll need to have more um, more new material. Um, mm. I think specific to the duo, which would be be good. Yeah. I'm so curious about this area, though, guys, because it was such an interesting moment in time when Prague said, oh, we can't sing, baby, I love you. Would you be with me now? Oh, I'm so sad that she broke up with me, even though Giant has one of those that blows your freaking mind. But it's just like, what are you going to sing about? And so that's what what I think was a really interesting development in how John Anderson figures out what he wants to sing about and Gabriel sings about what he wants to sing about and and everybody's sort of taking what their imagery is going to be and really making stark choices I think. Yeah, I I think that comes a lot from the Beatles if you listen <clears throat> you know the last few years of the Beatles they were writing incredibly poetic lyrics about all kinds of It's art rock. Yes, yeah. So that for me, that was quite a big early influence. And then obviously, uh, John Anderson. I remember <laughs> I was uh, uh, sharing a house with a singer-songwriter, and um, uh, he he wasn't really a big yes yes fan. Um, and uh, he he thought um, that writing a song just with adjectives in it and nothing else <laughs> was wasn't a very good idea. Which you know, like. <laughs> I think it, uh, some yes songs uh, like uh, on fragile probably just part of the sunrise. Yeah, I've listened to distance. Yeah, I'll take it. But you see, then he has a reason behind it, and this exactly. is the thing that yeah. I always love about it is that he goes so poetic. Yes, you're either on board or you're not, and I get that you can disconnect and just go, "What the hell." But no, take a second and put those three things together and see if you get an image in your mind about what you think is going on. It's so participatory. I yes. love that. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I love it as well. And the, the, actually in the songs, um, there's one song on uh, my Celestial Fire album where I tried to do that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, at least yeah. I'm not going to tell you directly, yeah. but there's a feeling here. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think both the lyrics and the music. Um, Maybe because I don't know. Yeah, we we Other try to conjure up atmospheres and um, landscapes in in the yeah. music and the lyrics, so, so that there's a feeling of something beyond ourselves. I would say. Yeah, yeah, bigger than us. <laughs> yes. Well, can you talk a little bit about some of your topics that you you feel that you have addressed because. You know, as I say again, it's it's such an important part of of the identity of the music, is that it's every part is artfully dealt with, and so the word choice is going to be so important in that situation. So, what are some of your inspirations? Hmm. Well, the the original inspiration for the Iona Band, which was. Um, uh, which obviously a lot of the music we do is drawn from was uh, there was twofold really it was um one um myself and david fitzgerald we were kind of we uh both as um believing christians uh we were kind of we just done an album with uh, uh, with a singer songwriter which was all about the history of the jewish nation uh this goes quite, quite deep really uh from like the beginning all the way up to like the holocaust and everything um and uh we realized that we didn't know anything about how christianity had arrived in britain um so uh, found ourselves looking into like the history of the, the celtic christian church uh and fight discovering all these amazing stories of, of people like saint brendan who reputedly um, sailed the Atlantic in a, a boat made of leather and wood back in the fourth century, um, and uh, people like Saint Columba, who um, he was, uh, I think he was of kingly descent, an Irish uh, man who became a monk, and uh, there was a big uh, battle, which uh, to do with um, copying 
the Psalms, I think, in a certain language, uh, which ended up 3,000 people were killed and he felt responsible. So he put himself in imposed, kind of self-imposed exile and went to the island of Iona. And he vowed to save for God as many souls had been killed in this battle. And then there's, there's all these stories of miracles and angelic kind of visitations and... Um, so that was your inspiration for a lot. Yeah. So Kells and yeah. Yes, and the, the Book of Kells, which is an eighth-century illuminated manuscript, which was um, written by monks on Iona and then completed in Ireland. Um, it, it was. Uh, it's an incredible piece of art that's still in Trinity College, Dublin. It's twelve hundred years old, but it looks like it was uh, illustrated yesterday. It's amazing. Um, and uh, so uh, then myself and David, we also had uh, friends on uh, the island of Lindisfarne, which was a, um, it's, people have described it as being a thin place where the veil between heaven and earth is, is very noticeably kind of uh, thin and um, apparent. Um, and there's been, like it was a monastery set up there by the, a monk from Iona in the seventh century, so there's been thirteen hundred years of of prayer there in this one island, which is cut off from the mainland, mainland of northern Britain by a causeway for half of the day. Um, so we, we 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 visited there several times, and we went to Iona, this small Scottish island. It's only one mile by three miles long, but where basically where um, Columba kind of spread the the gospel from and uh, the whole of Northern Britain and Scotland became a Christian kind of nation back in the seventh, eighth century. Um, so, but the, the, the thing about Lindisfarne and Iona is they're incredibly atmospheric, beautiful places, kind of on the edge of civilization almost. They're islands, was particularly Iona, it's a tiny island. And it, we, it took us uh, like 13 hours to get there from uh, Yorkshire, driving up and then getting a couple of ferries and driving across another Scottish island, Mull. And and you get there and there's there's something magical about the light there. Um, uh, yeah, Mend Mendelssohn, the um, classical composer, went there and other Scottish islands around there and wrote Fingal's Cave. That's, that's another place just close to there. Uh, I've, I've visited Fingal's Cave. Yeah. Yeah, I think I uh, I played with Jack Bruce in the eighties and nineties, and, and we did a um, a track called Fingal's Cafe, <laughs> which was uh, kind of put on the uh, Fingal's Cave. But anyway, um, uh, but yeah, so the the landscapes of these places w was really inspiring, and the light and everything. So uh, there was lots of influences. Uh, yeah, these these ancient stories. Um, from a from a different world, really. Um, so that was the uh, the ori original inspiration for Iona, and that's kind of carried on. Continued, uh, hasn't it? Into yeah. Your, into your solo thing. Yeah. yeah, but also exploring other themes as well, um, like to the far away. Um, the last solo album was inspired by um, myself and my wife Sharon, and my now wife Sharon. Um, we were due to be married in uh, March 2020. Uh, and I was due to be flying over from England and then everything was shut down because of the pandemic. So we ended up being apart for eight and a half months before we finally got back together and were able to be married. But So I wrote to the far away. That was really inspired by the feeling. Separation. Separation. Mm -hmm. um, also, I was living during the pandemic on a uh, this um, remote country lane. Um, so was spending each day walking around the lane, uh, down the lane, and um, just taking in the landscape and and writing about that. Um, so yeah, those those kind of things um, certainly inspire me. I, I don't know about you, Sally. Um, mm. I think it's a mixture, isn't it, of um, of life and what you're experiencing and how you're feeling and where you're at, and then bigger picture things it seems so you're drawing on yes what's immediately around you and then the other other world <laughs> yes yeah yeah I've, I've always had this sense that there's more 
to the um, you know more to life than just the, the physical realm we see. So I've tried to, uh, and I think actually that that's one of the things about progressive rock. Um, the best of progressive rock takes you to a place that's beyond yourself and and beyond the everyday into this magical world of, of things that can be perhaps rather than what is i mean I, I i would just listen when i was a teenager i'd spend hours listening to yes albums and it would take me away from my having to do school homework and all the things that were happening in my life that maybe weren't very good but um you know for a few hours you'd be in this magical world of music and um possibilities and uh, something larger than ourselves kind of thing transported away music mm. does that it does take us away doesn't it yes yes yeah so what are you guys working on now what's coming up um well so yeah just last month we did our first u.s gig which was fantastic um we we saw you at prog stock in october right yes yep so that was great fun um and uh yeah we've, we've been yeah we've, we've been touring a lot in in the uk and not long before the pandemic we did our first tour in germany which was really good but um then well a couple of things well first of all the pandemic happened and then brexit happened as well which has made it really much more expensive to consider going to europe to tour so we haven't done that for a while but uh, and then also i've moved my base over to baltimore in america so uh, the plan is to do um, some more UK gigs um, in the summer. Um, and I'm working on a, a new solo album, uh, which I hope will be out um, in the first half of next year. Um, and uh, Sally's going to be singing on that. Yeah, um, so I need to get rid of this cough and get on with the vocals. Yeah, yeah, you've already sang on one track. Um, there's yeah. lots more, more to come. Yeah. Uh, Are you gigging around as a singer? Sally? Um, I'm doing, yeah, trying to keep busy. Um, I am working with a few people in terms of recording, um, but in terms of gigs, um, the only live um, gigs I'm doing are with Pendragon. I've been singing backing vocals with them. So we're quite busy next from May onwards. Um, <laughs> So I've got a bit of a quiet bit actually, where I can focus on the recording work that's coming in. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so so far, the only um, duo release we've got is uh, it's the uh, live in the studio DVD and two CD set where we basically played our live live set, and our friend Dave Bronze filmed it for us um, with several cameras. And then we we also added a few. Um, uh, tracks that were recorded at a gig in Sheffield. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think it's it's at some point we need to do a, a duo album or a, a Sally solo album. Yeah, uh, I've had a few you... people asking about that. I need to, uh, yeah, I'm juggling quite a lot as it is and <laughs> trying to keep on top of everything. So, uh, but it would it would be amazing to be able to record some of my own songs. Yeah, and I think with the with doing Progstock as well, you know, more and Pen, Pendragon, and doing uh, stuff with Dave Bronze, you're becoming more known in the kind of progressive rock uh, field. Yeah, so I seem, I seem to be in this camp somehow. That's fine by me, but yeah. <laughs> well, you're not bored, are you? No, no, never, mm. never. <laughs> People don't realize that. That's sort of why we do this. Yeah. No, the the same old, same old every day is not really fulfilling, is it? No, no, Absolutely. no. So yeah, with um, music, I'm always trying to explore different things and come up with different ideas, and uh, I think that's yeah, super important. You know, and it's yeah. an overarching theme in art. You know that like, what's the next thing? When do things merge? How do they merge? Do they collide? You know, are things that rhyme or are they things that repel? It's just, it's it's such an interesting historic trend because 
you have traditional and you have post-traditional, mm. you know? And I think that that's, that's a kind of important distinction to think what happens that establishes a given form or format. Mm. And then what is the breaking of that? And you see the Beatles become so much part of dis dismantling. Yes, yeah. Constructing you know, what it was. Yeah. I they think, made I mean, it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the struggle we have is really that, um, like when bands like Pink Floyd and Yes and that were making albums, they had a lot of record company backing and budgets to spend months rehearsing together and, and putting up music together. Um, and now we do, basically those budgets aren't there. So pretty much everything is self-funded. Um, but at the same time, we still want to create new music that's that's relevant, um, not just a copy of, of the past. So uh, the, the challenge is how to, first of all, finance that and then how to get it in front of enough people to be able to uh, sell enough albums to make it viable so you make an excellent point and and on that i think you should tell people where they can find your stuff online oh right yeah. yes um so yeah all our albums in fact actually we did um having said that we just did the one duo album um our band celestial fire uh, which sally is the lead singer in we did a, a live dvd as well um, so yeah, all that can be found at musicglue.com forward slash Iona. That's I O N A. Um, so, um, but we've also got uh, U.S. distribution via thebandwagonusa.com, um, and they're great people. They, um, in conjunction with uh, our record label, well, our distribution label in uh, the U.K., Gonzo Multimedia. They um, ship over stuff in bulk so that we can have it um, mailed from within the UK, within the US rather. So, and do you guys have websites that people should know about? Uh, I don't, do you, have, you don't have a website yet, do you, Sally? Sorry, I was going to cough, so I muted. Hang on. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, I'll, well, I've got, yeah, davebrainbridgemusic.com. Um, if you go to davebrainbridgemusic.com, then you'll find... Um, the section subsections for the Dave and Sally duo and Celestial Fire Band, um, and then um, yeah, I just I just have Facebook. That's where I tend to operate from. Yes, so I think a website should be forthcoming at some point. There, right. you, yeah, but um, yeah. So I, about a year and a maybe a year and six months ago, I started um, a Patreon page as well. Um, so that's been fantastic in enabling me to carry on doing um writing uh new music because now i've got at least a monthly income from that um which i can rely on uh, to pay at least some of the bills which is is great so that's at patreon.com forward slash dave bainbridge um but yeah i put on loads of um uh loads of exclusive videos and tracks and and stuff um uh, and even photos because uh, i the last album also came in a deluxe box set version with a, a book of my uh, photographs, which are mainly nature landscape. Um, so I also do a photo of the week for those um, people on Patreon. So it's fun to do. And uh, have weekly interviews, uh, well, we, a weekly Patreon gathering. Um, but Sally's um, been special guest on that um, once or twice, I think now. Yeah, yeah. Pa Patreon, we appreciate everything that everyone brings to this, and and you're all part of the process. And mm. there's always something going on. Um, so yeah, helping us keep this kind of stuff going, keeping music, keeping chat going, and and people connecting because there's just so many different veins. There are just so many different junctures and there's so many different ways music con connects you know and it and, and your your brand is is certainly a very a unique kind but uh just quite beautiful so i, I want to tell you thank you that's great stuff yeah i think it's you know in the a world that's so fractious as well and and divided 
I just love the fact that with music you can forget all those divisions and come together in a shared experience which is, can take you out of yourself and circumstances. So, yeah, we, we love going to, myself and Sharon, my wife, love going to events like Progstock and we'll, we'll spend the whole weekend there just because it's great hanging out with people and sharing music and meeting other musicians and having a great time. You know what? I got, I've got to, got to change gears before we split. I do have to ask you the British Isles and, and the mystical thing. We got, we got to talk about that for a minute. Glastonbury and, and these, these hot spots. Cause you know, I had the guitarist from uh, Jade warrior on he passed now. Oh yeah. 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 I know. He talked about this, you know, where, certain places you know you have the runes and you have stuff that's going on do you guys get into that at all mm -hmm. I think I, oh yeah go. well um you mean like stonehenge and uh these places where you can go and yeah get i mean is, is the pagan the pagan roots is that of interest I th to, up to a point i think I'd say that for me, I'm more inspired by just nature in itself yes. rather than any particular place that might be special for any reason or have a lot of history. I mean, the, you, you get a sense of history, don't you? When you go into any old building, old castle um, or somewhere like Stonehenge where a monument that's been there for just so long and they're just that walking around i think it's as much as you as you let your mind expand and to consider how many people have walked there how many people might have touched that rock and you can it can mean as much as much or as little to you as your you feel really <laughs> um but i'm i'm particularly more stirred i'd say by countryside and wild weather and the the sea things like that probably yeah. have more of an effect on me than 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 sites <laughs> of historic interest but yeah yeah, yeah. i think that being in um british isles so you've got all of that because it's a it's really quite a small island um or a set of islands so you've you've always got the sea around you and at the yeah. elements and um uh but the history is is really it's it's everywhere um so like there's a track we play live called castle rig uh, which is on a one of the iona albums and um uh, it's a it's a place in Cumbria near, in the Lake District where there's a, a five thousand year old stone circle, uh, and it's an an amazing place. When you go, we went there once in the winter, and uh, it's surrounded by hills, uh, and all the hills were snow covered with snow, and it was just an incredible place. There was no one else there at, at that particular day, um, and you just get a sense of the continuity of, of life and how long it's been going on. Um, so it's it's mystical in that sense, I think, because uh, there are so many people who've, who've passed on and have been part of of the history you see around you. Um, that That's how I see it as being kind of mystical. I, I remember um, a few years ago watching a, uh, a programme on Irish music on TV and they had this clip, it was like a black and white TV clip from, I think it was from the 1940s or 50s. Um, and it was um, an accordionist playing an old tune by O'Carolan, who was um, a famous blind Irish harp player from the 1700s. Uh, so this tune was a, you know, a couple of hundred years old and it was a, a slow air. And there were all these people stood around him just completely transfixed by the the music, it was like they were almost in a in a trance or just really absorbed in in the music and it was I thought that was such an incredible thing to witness um, and the power of the mute that tune the hundreds of years old tune on on that group of people that were just just there um, so there's the yeah those those kind of things really inspire me uh, and as as um Sally says the landscapes because although it's a small place, the landscape changes so much in Britain. Um, it, you know, you can go from the big hills in the Lake District 
um, and go over the other side of the country and it's completely flat. So, yeah, we've, there's a lot there that can, can inspire. But, you know, these monuments are funny to me because you have to ask, how the hell did they get there? <laughs> That's what well, I there are, there are various documentaries you can yeah. watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's just, that's quite a feat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Move that stuff and put it in place and get it to stay there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, you've got to have some serious motivation to do that. Serious, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> Hey everybody, this has been the podcast with Greg Bendy and my guests have been Dave Bainbridge and Sally Manier. It's a pleasure to have you guys and and looking forward to hearing more from you in the future. Thanks. See you guys out there. Okay, Definitely. thank you. Cheers. Bye -bye.